Hey, I want to welcome you to Coastal Community Church's online sermons. And uh, before you watch this sermon, first of all, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch. And uh, we do want you to know that uh, this is a tool to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ, to grow closer to Him and walk with Him. Uh, we, however, at Coastal, hold a deep belief that uh, this should not supplement your attendance at a local church. We believe deeply in a local church. And so while we uh, this sermon is a, is a supplement for you, we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church, find a local pastor. Uh, if you're in our community, uh, in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to attend with us. We have three services on Sunday morning, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15, and uh, we'd love for you to join us in one of those services. We're starting a new series at Coastal Community Church called Strength and Courage. And as a church, uh, we're ready to face some challenges of moving to a new location. And with change comes challenge. And so, uh, and while we're excited about the changes coming our way, we want to prepare for it as well. Joshua led the people of Israel to, the new, to a promised land, which had a lot of change and a lot of challenge. And so we feel like there's a lot we can learn from the book of Joshua. And so this fall, we're going to take a journey together. And we're mindful that Joshua is a type of our Savior. Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Joshua, and through the eyes of Joshua, we're going to look at our Savior, our King, and our leader as He guides us and leads us with strength and courage. Welcome to the new series through Joshua, Strength and Courage. Amen. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Isn't it great to sing praises to the great I Am? And that's the name God gave Himself. And and uh, we're going to dive into his word here this morning and learn some truths about the great I am. But I want to introduce you to a person. You're going to get a great sermon this morning because I'm not preaching, okay? So don't anybody applaud. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you become like the people that you allow to influence you. Uh, we learned that on the men's retreat this week. And I want to introduce you to someone that's influenced me. And I try to do that from time to time is introduce you to people that I say, hey, these are some men in my life that have kind of been my pastor. And, and I'm going to introduce you to one of the things I learn from this person. This is a person who first let me preach on a Sunday morning in their church. Uh, and then when we got done, uh, he gave me some really positive critique. And then he said this, if you ever preach again for less than 45 minutes, I'll never let you preach again. So that influenced me. Okay. So, uh, so here we are. So I want to introduce you to a friend, the pastor that ordained me, uh, a person I've influenced and called from time to time when I needed wisdom and direction, even here at Coastal Community Church. Put your hands together and welcome Pastor Tony Chester. Hey, don't blame that on me, okay? That's, uh, but I did say that to him uh, years ago. Can you hear me okay? Okay, good. Well, again, my name is Tony Chester. I wondered, uh, I know that Virginia is technically the south, but I'm from like the deep south, so maybe I should just talk for a few moments and let you catch up with my accent. I don't know. Any, anybody from Georgia here? Any former Georgians? Any wannabe Georgians? Hey, there's one over there. Oh, I like it. Very good. Well, I, uh, I am blessed to be here. Had a wonderful weekend with the men's ministry. Uh, we dodged the raindrops and uh, studied God's Word together and just had a great time uh, delving around in the book of Proverbs as we talked about leaving the right kind of legacy, leading to a legacy. And uh, I have just been blessed, uh, men, by you and uh, sensed a great deal of spiritual hunger among these men. I think it's a very healthy men's ministry, and I'm very, very excited about that. I'm also excited for your church. It's probably helpful to, for you to know that uh, when I met Sean and Jennifer, and in our family we refer to them as Jennifer and Sean, um, but uh, 
We, uh, um, uh, when we first met years ago, it was in the mid-90s. They were uh, camping out for a while in Fort Myers, Florida. I was pastoring there at Riverside Church. And we were uh, in a temporary location, an interim location in Three Oaks Middle School and uh, had uh, begun to grow. Our church had uh, had this sense of mission, and we were looking forward to the day when we could purchase a piece of property and build a building. And, and so I, I have actually pastored a church down a very similar journey to what you have now, the exception being you have this facility uh, during this whole stage we rented in a middle school, and back then you could do that, and it was frankly dirt cheap it was a lot cheaper than owning a building but uh, we saw God bless saw incredible faith from our people uh, we saw people develop a sense of of a calling to Lee County Florida which in those days was one of the two or three fastest growing counties in the country uh, now you know where there was incredible growth there was also incredible shrinking when the recession came and so uh, that church was hit pretty pretty hard by the recession uh, and uh, but we actually saw God just continue to bless and they are down there in uh, Fort Myers today uh, serving God and making a difference in that community and so uh, I'm a little bit envious of you guys at this stage because I think that probably you have no idea how much sanctified fun you're going to have over the next couple of years. Uh, it is a great joy to be a part of what God is up to in a community, right? Uh, it's just a great joy to be a part of that. And I just want to say to you, uh, I, I, I love the, the title, you know, uh, Strength and Courage. That really is a theme uh, that we see developed in the book of, of Joshua. And, um, and so I just want to encourage you that uh, you may very well be in and headed toward the most strategic years of your entire lives. You may look back one day and say, remember those years at Coastal when we were sort of too big for that building and we needed to really trust God and step out in faith and get a different facility and, and some other tools that we could use and really just keep going in the blessings of God. And you may look back on that and say, I think that I was born for that season. I, I think that this was the, uh, just one of those assignments that God privileged me to have to be a part of that church during that season and I can tell you that there are people in Fort Myers Florida who feel that way about being a part of Riverside Church uh, during those days and so I'm a little bit envious I'm very much in prayer for you and having been here I will be all the more informed in my prayers and uh, I love your pastor I may rag him a little bit uh, but I uh, I love him when uh, when uh, Sean and Jennifer first uh, started coming to Riverside. Uh, we met them at a middle school cafeteria as we were worshiping there. And um, we uh, used to host newcomers in our home for like a snack supper. And uh, the one and only time it ever happened in all the years I was there, the night they came, they were the only ones who came. And, uh, and so we just said, come in, sit down. And they spent about two or three hours at our house that night, and Carrie and I just bonded immediately with them, and uh, we have just been dear friends ever since then. You are 
uh, a blessed people to have a man like Sean Brown here. I just want to say that. And uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you, you go ahead and do that. Increasingly, leaders who unpack their bags and live with the people and ride all the way through what God is seeking to do in that community, increasingly those leaders are rarer and rarer in our culture. And so uh, uh, there's something wonderful, there's something blessed that happens when God's servant is faithful and God's people follow well. Let me tell you, you can't even start to imagine the things that can get done for Christ in your community and through this church. And so I rejoice with you in everything that is happening. Well, turn, if you will, to Joshua chapter 2 this morning. Um, you know, it's, it's always great to be invited to come and speak somewhere. Let me let you know that after 30 years of pastoral ministry, um, in 30 years I only pastored two churches. And so I've sort of been one of those guys that just stays, you know. Um, but I am now working in uh, the marketplace. I am what uh, some call a corporate chaplain. Uh, and God has uh, opened a door for me to go into workplaces and serve as a chaplain. And I am free to share Christ with those as long as I don't force it on them. And so I am enjoying being in the marketplace in this season of my life. And so I have to commute all over Atlanta, Georgia. That's the only thing I don't like is the traffic in Atlanta. Uh, after about two days in Atlanta, I said, Lord, I thought this was Atlanta, but it looks an awful lot like Nineveh to me. I didn't know. Uh, it's just such a difficult place to drive. But God is blessing. And so I am not currently pastoring. I am doing the chaplaincy role. Uh, and so I was just gratified when Sean invited me to come and speak. Uh, it's a great thing to have that invitation. But it, it's interesting, though, when he says, but here, I'm going to give you a text I want you to speak on. You know, and, uh, and so I think that's probably some kind of joke between he and I. I don't know. But he told me that you've started in the book of Joshua. And when he said Joshua 2 would be great, I just uh, immediately felt like God was saying, yes, this is where we need to dwell. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes today from Joshua 2 about the faith of an outsider. The faith of an outsider. Years ago, uh, before um, I was very old in ministry, I, I was a, a youngster, a collegian, and I was serving in student ministry with college students in my home church. Uh, I met a young man at uh, our sort of gathering point uh, that happened on Friday night. A bunch of young uh, 18 to 23, 24-year-olds. And I met this young man named Terry. He obviously was a little older than the rest of us, but he came and he, he sort of hooked on to me. And he was like, you know, I, my name's Terry. You know, you want to get coffee and I said well sure and I thought wow what great spiritual hunger and he and I went after the meeting and went across the street and uh, to get coffee and uh, I could tell that Terry had uh, something burning in him that he needed to talk about and so uh, we sat and I get to get the, you got to get the picture I'm about 19 or 20 years old he's about 26 or 27 years old and uh, he told me uh, two stories. One, he said, I really would love to meet a good Christian girl. I, I just really want, can you introduce me to some good Christian girls at this church? You know? So, first of all, he was really excited about it. He, he wanted a woman, 
you know, and he wanted me to help him with that. And, and so I, you know, I talked to him and I said, look, come and hang out and, and we'll trust God for what he wants to do. He said, well, the reason I, I, want, the reason I want to meet someone, he says, I, I just got out of prison. And he said, I spent the last eight years in prison. And, I, you know, there are, there are no women in prison. And I, I'm eager to, I want to, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ. I was, I, when I went into prison, I, you know, I didn't know Christ. But the, there's a guy there that taught a Bible study. And I'm a Christian, and I want to meet a Christian girl. And so I remember in my heart, I'm sitting there with him, and I'm thinking, okay, what do I do with this? So I said to him, well, Terry, tell me, tell me your story. And he said, well, he said, I was put in prison for aggravated rape. And um, told me the story how he held a knife to a girl's throat and took advantage of her. I'm 19 years old, right? And he's saying, I need you to help me get a girlfriend. And in that moment, my heart just sank. And all I could think was, I don't know if I want you to be around any of my friends. Can I be that honest? I was thinking to myself, no, I I need to, I'm going to keep an eye on you. Because at that moment in my life, I just wasn't so sure about this outsider. You know, they say in this year's uh, presidential cycle, uh, this, this election cycle, that it's the year in which outsiders are insiders. And insiders are outsiders. That kind of reminds me of the gospel, you know. It really does. And, and when we read the Old Testament, we find little bits and pieces here and there that give us little harbingers of what the fullness of the gospel is going to be about. You know, we can actually see the gospel in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, uh, I was taught in seminary and have believed it ever since. The Great Commission started in Genesis chapter 12. When, when God said to Abraham, and in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, that's when the Great Commission started. You know, and it's just a little hint at all that God was going to do. And when you get over to the book of Ephesians, you realize that there, there is this great mystery that has been revealed because uh, there is of all of the ways that people identify themselves, you know, Jew and Gentile. And we would go, you know, we could go down the racial roads and the ethnicities and the language groups and the nationalities and all those things and all the ways that we label each other. But you know what Ephesians basically says? It says the last people group that'll ever be defined in human history is the church, the body of Christ. And it's going to be made up of people from all different backgrounds. And the illustration there is this this great divide of Jew and Gentile, the covenant people and those that are, say it with me, outsiders are going to be welcomed in. And so when you get to Ephesians, we see that in full. And in the Old Testament, we have little stories here and there that give us a hint that that is what God is up to. So I want to give you four little uh, descriptors, if I can, of the faith of Rahab. And I think it will become obvious to you that as we move through these, that there is a great analogy uh, uh, for us between who she was and became and who we were and became. 
and a great analogy for what the people of Israel had to be willing to receive, had to kind of get their theology around and their head around, and what you and I need to embrace as part of our call in the Great Commission. And so we're just going to kind of use this story as an analogy. Now read with me uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. And, and uh, I just want you to notice, first of all, how Rahab's faith was graciously kindled by God. I just want you to see that. And what I mean by this is that, you know, Rahab didn't get up one day and say, I think I'm going to become a Jew. You know, Rahab was a part of a people that was a, they had cultic religious practices. Um, they had ritual prostitution as part of their religious practice. They had infant sacrifice as part of their religious practices. This was a vile uh, cultic group of people that she was a part of. She didn't just get up one day and say, you know, I think I'll just become a Jew. No, God, as he does with all of us, had started the process Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from uh, Shittim, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. And this this little phrase, So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, first of all, just notice her identity as we first meet her in Scripture. She is Rahab the harlot. We still know her as that so often in our thoughts. That's how she's identified. She wears that label, Rahab the harlot, living among a pagan people in a walled city called Jericho. In fact, we find out that her house is built either in the wall or on top of the wall. And she apparently has a window that looks out toward the outside of the wall as this story unfolds. But notice here that these spies find their way to her door. Isn't that amazing? Now, who was responsible for that? You know, she didn't have a sign out that said, uh, if there are any Jewish spies coming... You know, come here. No, God in his great love for Rahab. You hearing me? God in this incredible grace of his is steering and guiding these spies and he leads them right to her door. That is an amazing story. And as I think back on the circumstances of my own salvation, I realize that God allowed me to experience in my story some pain, and then he allowed me to experience some doubt about whether or not I truly had come to know Christ. You know, I, was, I had walked forward in a service when I was a little guy in a Southern Baptist church. And if you know anything about you know, us Southern Baptists, we want to get you wet ASAP. Okay? And so they really didn't know how to counsel with me very well. They just said, what's next is baptism. And before I knew it, I was being baptized a little later. But, you know, I got away from God in high school uh, and later on determined that I had never truly been uh, converted. And God used a lot of difficult things. And I came to a place in my life when I recognized that the things he allowed to happen in my life were signs of his grace. And that he, the hound of heaven, uh, so to speak, was on my trail. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, these spies wind up at Rahab's door. By the way, uh, Pastor, uh, notice there are two spies. 
That's pretty significant. And I want to challenge church. You, I want to challenge you, church, with this. Two spies. You know, Joshua and Caleb were part of a group of 12. And they were, they were the only two that came back and said, by the grace of God, we can conquer. Remember that story? So what does Joshua do now? You think he's going to send 12 spies in there? Uh, no. No. Uh, Joshua sends two as a memorial to the fact that there were two that trusted God. See? And what Joshua is, I think, uh, really saying here is we're going to be the generation that trusts God and moves forward for him. And so not 12 spies, not one for each tribe. No, we're going to send two. And these two spies providentially, graciously are guided to the door of Rahab the harlot. Look at verse 9, though, and look at what else we discover. In, in conversation with them, you know, they come in there and they have to hide because the leaders of, of Jericho uh, hear that two strangers have come in. And we find out that the whole city has been really paranoid and afraid. And so she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on all of us. And that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. She goes on to say, we've heard how the Red Sea dried up. And we've heard how Yahweh, personal name, your God, has done this and this and this and this. And so here's what we see. We see that, that, that for some time now, Rahab has been under conviction I mean, God has been stirring her up. The life she's been living, the identity she's been wearing, the people that she's been living among, the religious practices that she's been embracing, she has come to doubt all of that because God has graciously been at work, kindling her faith. I want to ask you a question. Does that sound familiar to anybody in this room? You know, God has to remove our faith in other things in order to uh, enable us to place our faith in him and in the cross, right? And so first of all, beautifully, graciously, we see how God kindled her faith. Second thing about her faith is we realize it was accompanied by repentance. And I want to spend a couple of moments about this uh, a little bit and just show you some things that I, you know, we don't have a full theology of repentance here in this passage but in light of the New Testament reading back, it seems to me that that's exactly what we see happening in Rahab's life. Now, first of all, verse 9, the terror of you has fallen on us. Let's keep reading verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, she says, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For Yahweh, listen to this, Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth below. What a statement. And so I'm going to summarize repentance here with two expressions, one Holy awe. This is a woman who's come to the realization that she is on the wrong team. Hello? 
that she that her religion and her nationality and everything about her family and her upbringing all of that has pointed her life in the wrong direction all of her idolatrous practices are now clearly to her idolatry because she is not worshiping the God who is Lord in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, if that is not repentance, I don't know how to describe it in Scripture. Her mind and heart is turning. It is shifting. It is changing. And uh, to quote the New Testament, what we see, I think, in her life is repentance toward God. It's a beautiful picture, a holy awe that my people are sinful and wrong. I am sinful and wrong, and I must change. Second expression I think that we can say about repentance is a desire to break with the past. Look at verse 12. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth. And she goes on and enters into this deal by which she is going to be able uh, to spare herself and spare her family. And she's basically saying, we want to have a different identity. We want to be a part of who you are following your God. And I'm willing to break with my traditions, break with all of our history, break with my community. Think about that. Filled with awe convinced that God is the true God. And now, if you will, would you please give me an opportunity to break with my past and re-identify who I am in terms of a faith in Yahweh, whom she has identified as Lord of heaven and earth. May I just say that in all of our thinking and all of our thoughts about faith, faith that saves is a faith that repents. There is a time when we are convicted and stirred and our heart turns to God and we turn from uh, sin to God. And having divested ourselves of all the things we've been trusting in and having turned to God in repentance, we then reinvest all of our dependence and all of our trust, all of our faith is invested in Jesus and in his completed work on the cross of Calvary. Now, is that part of your testimony Is it? It's a great question. Number three, let's notice this. Her faith not only was accompanied by repentance, but it led to both profession and action. Look, if you will, with me in verse 14. So the men said to her, as we skip through and and continue with the story, the men said to her, our life for yours. If, we, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. Now we know that she had already hidden them among the flax on the roof. They would take the flax up and stack it in big, almost like bales and let it dry. She's hidden them and now she's saying, now that they've pursued away from the city, you can sneak out and, and come down this rope 
and, and, and you can move along. So basically what, what I'm just pointing out as we move on is that not only did she profess faith in their God, but that turned into real service and into real action in her life. Hers was not a dead faith. You know, James speaks of a dead faith that is profession without service. It's profession without obedience, profession without action. That's, James says that's a dead faith. But hers was a living faith because her faith made her a servant on God's team. See? And she uh, proved that she had truly trusted Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth, by the very actions that she did. And by the way, you can go and look in the book of James and look in Hebrews chapter 11 where Rahab makes God's hall of faith there in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's exactly how we see her described. We see her described as having a real faith because of what she actually did to prove what she had confessed with her lips and with her words. And so her faith led to, led to both speech or profession and action as well. And finally, her faith resulted in the deliverance from judgment and a new identity. And I just want you to kind of walk with me here and just notice this uh, as, we, uh, as we travel on. Look, if you will, uh, beginning, I'll begin in verse 17. The men said to her, we, we shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear unless when we come into your land you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. And it shall come about that anyone that goes out the doors of the house into the street, well, his blood shall be on his own head. We shall be free from our oath. But anyone, notice this, who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. Now, they make the promise when we come, we will see the scarlet cord. And by the way, W.A. Criswell, years ago, past, longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church of, of uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, used to preach a message called the scarlet thread of redemption. And he picked up this idea of this scarlet cord. But what I want you to see here is the language of this passage. This language should probably seem a little familiar to you. Okay? Because here we have something that's red, something red that's visible from outside the house. Outside the house is deadly. There's judgment happening outside that house. But within that house where something red is visible, there is salvation. There is deliverance. You getting it? See, I, I'm fully convinced that this language is a deliberate allusion to the Passover. 
See, our mind, we should be going back to the book of Exodus, and we should be seeing that while the, 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 uh, the instruments of judgment, the, the, the armies of Israel, who, by the way, conquered Jericho without one military action. You remember that, right? They marched around. You know, you, you're going to see that story. I don't want to steal Sean's thunder, uh, uh, but uh, you, you're going to see how it was miraculous, and God, that was God's way of saying, this is my work, not yours. I just need for you to collaborate with me. If you'll trust me and go with me, you'll see that I'm going to do the work. And judgment came to all of Jericho except one little condominium carved out in a wall that fell everywhere except where her home was and everybody inside that house because of something red on the outside was spared. Surely this is an allusion to Passover where a sacrificial lamb was killed and the blood was dripped, you know, with hyssop and perhaps even in the sign of a cross, some up there and some on both sides of the doorway. And when God sent the death angel uh, into uh, the land of Egypt and he saw the blood on the doorpost of those covenant people, they were spared because they had been identified with Jehovah, with Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. You getting it? Okay. And so here we have this incredible allusion to Passover. And here's what I love. Not only is it deliverance from judgment, but this is a way of saying, Rahab, you are no longer a part of those people. Rahab, you are no longer, even though the church will get it wrong and probably think of it many, many times, your name is no longer, think about it, your name is no longer Rahab the harlot. We are changing your identity. We are changing the people with whom you identify. You're going to live in covenant with God's people as they live in covenant with me. Therefore, in James and in Hebrews 11, we're going to say some wonderful things about how your faith is a model for our faith. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Listen, how God loves us. How, how great a salvation is that? You know, he stirs our hearts and draws us to himself. We are awed by his holiness we yearn for a break with our past, and he gives it. And he gives us a new identity in him. That's what the book of Ephesians is really about. It's about being a part of this last race that's ever going to live, the, the body of Christ, where those who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You see, Rahab and the rest of the Bible is about how outsiders become insiders through faith in what God has done at the cross of Christ. See? And what we really see here is that God is the chief evangelist. He's the one on the move, changing, stirring, drawing, loving, wooing people to him. I, I just love this. Well, I, you know, <clears throat> I, I think the big idea of this whole passage is this, and I need to end in about five minutes with this. So here's the big idea of the whole passage. The whole passage really comes down to this. Her story is our story. 
and her need is our calling. If you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord, let me tell you, you've had a story just like hers. If your story hasn't tracked through repentance and faith and obedience and service, then you need to do some business with God. May I be that bold? You need to ask some questions about whether or not you truly have saving faith living in your heart. Uh, as James would say, is your faith alive? Or is it just a dead version? Sort of, you've been inoculated, you know, by a dead version of the gospel. But true saving faith brings repentance. It brings a turnaround. It brings a change of identity. And it brings a living, serving, loving faith to life. And Rahab is just like you and me. Because the fact of the matter is, as much as we may choose to believe that they're outsiders or and insiders, the reality is we're all outsiders. Every last one of us. Her story is our story. And yet there are Rahabs all over coastal Virginia. Nah, not, I'm not saying there are harlots. But there are people who have no clue of what they could be in Christ. They're out there. And so God has given to this great church a wonderful mission of saying we're no better than anybody else. We will guard ourselves against haughtiness. We will not let the culture war make us sound like a bunch of you know jerks for Jesus or whatever. We're going to go out and love people to Jesus, and we're going to just take the love that we have received, the grace we have received, and we want to be a conduit of that in anywhere we can in our community. And we want to be known as a place where lives are changed because of this shared grace that just pours through Coastal Community Church. Because not only are we just like her, you know, her story is our story, but her need, and she's out there, her need is the calling of this church. This is why you need that building. Yeah. Let me tell you, Pastor Sean's getting old. <laughs> and he can't preach three times and then four times and then five times, right? Clearly, if I've ever been around a church that needs a building, it's this one. You clearly need a building. And I remember those days. And so God is going to challenge you to do what you can to participate in this great mission so that Rahabs can get a name change and a family change. Amen? Amen? Think of the joy of looking back in a couple of years and seeing the faces of those that you know. They didn't used to be here. They were outsiders. Now they're insiders. Let me tell you, uh, may God give to this church a work of heart to see that that happens. Years later, I was invited back to my home church after I was in seminary. I think I was two-thirds of the way through seminary. And the pastor called me up and said, I heard you're going to be home uh, for Thanksgiving. Will you preach? And I said, sure, I'll preach. I'd love to. And uh, so here I am. At, I'm at, uh, in my home church there in Georgia. And back then, you know, we had thrones on the podium. Remember those thrones? Remember those like 
big chairs. What were we thinking? I don't know what. <laughs> big chairs. It's like, you know, we want to be friendly. We want you to feel like we're part of you. And here we sat, you know, waiting our turn on the thrones. And uh, I, re <laughs> I remember I was sitting over here on the throne. And I looked out into this section and I spotted my friend Terry. This was probably four years later. There he sat. And there was a woman next to him. And there were some children on the row. Hallelujah, right? Amen. After church, I'm sitting over there and I see them, and God literally, not audibly, it was louder than that, but God just said, See what a dirt bag you are. You had no idea what I was going to do. In fact, truth of the matter is, Pastor, you weren't even sure it was possible. And so after church, I'm, you know how they make you stand down front and everybody comes by. So here came Terry. He said, Tony, big old, just big, huge smile on his face. He said, I want you to meet my wife. And he introduced her and they introduced these little pretty little children. I'm standing there and I, all I can think is I need to get somewhere so that I can just fall apart and get right with God. Yeah. A heart for outsiders. That's what it takes. A heart for outsiders. Because we're all outsiders who've been invited in by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just weave these thoughts deep into our souls today, Lord. Remind us of the greatness of what you've done through our worthy, matchless Savior and his incredible substitutionary death for us. Lord, the truth is it takes no more grace to reach what we call an outsider than it did to reach us. We were just as far as anybody from you. And we would be today apart from you and your sanctifying grace in our lives. And so, God, break our hearts for those. And, Lord, for those who, not just those that we think are outsiders, but, Lord, tragically, those who believe themselves to be outsiders and beyond hope. God, may they see hope in us, see hope manifest Coastal Community Church through the power of the gospel and the faith and courage of these dear people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.